Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky recently gave his first press conference in months, and I'd be remiss if I didn't react to it. That's coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, Bears fans, and welcome back to the first Bear With Me episode in quite some time, as I gotta be honest, between videos and everything that's going on in the world, podcasting has gotten away from me a little bit. But alongside Lester Wiltfong, Bill Zimmerman, now Jeff Burkus, and EJ Snyder, who Jeff's doing an awesome Bears history podcast alongside Bears Over Beers, which I guess that hasn't appeared in a little while, but again, with everything going on between COVID-19 and recent protests and other uprisings surrounding police brutality and racial injustice, there has been a lot going on in the world, and I don't blame anybody for their schedules being uh, a little bit unusual. But while I could talk about COVID-19, where I hope you're staying safe, and certainly I hope and pray that you haven't been affected by the virus in any capacity, ranging from unemployment to getting sick to seeing somebody you love getting sick, but also when it comes to racial injustice, I gotta be honest guys, I'm probably the furthest thing from an expert on the topic. I truly am learning just like tons of other people, and if you want more information, I suggest you turn to folks like Sam Acho or Emmanuel Acho. He's Emmanuel's on Twitter. Sam was on Bill Zimmerman's most recent podcast, and it's awesome because if you turn to me, I just can't give you an informed opinion enough to give any insight whatsoever, and there are tons of other fabulous voices that you could listen to about information on that topic, and if you want more insight or discussion surrounding that, I suggest you go listen to them. You're really not going to be gaining anything from my voice on this subject. But Mitchell Trubisky recently had a press conference that got a whole lot of people fired up, and that's something that I actually feel like I can talk about, not just because, of course, I've studied Mitch really, really heavily over these last two, I mean, I'd say three seasons, but a lot of people are throwing out John Fox's 2017 year, so I'll throw that out too for the sake of argument, as well as the last three years of Nick Foles, and when Mitch came in and gave this press conference, which I just finished up a re-listening to, I gotta say, Every time I go back to it, every time I think about it, it feels as if Mitch couldn't have done anything else but knock this presser out of the park. He didn't talk to the Bears, or at least Bears media, for months. It was quite some time before Mitch had had any contact with the media after almost weekly contact throughout the season. So if it was me, and I was his press officer, if you will... I could have come up with exactly the same list of questions, just probably reworded, to practice with Mitch for probably the last 30 days at least. I mean, of course, there are going to be questions about, is he still the leader of the team? Is Foles the guy? What did Mitch or what did Matt Nagy tell him? Did he know about it? What are his thoughts? The very same questions that he answered with gusto all throughout this press conference. I'm not trying to take anything away from Mitch. I'm just trying to provide the context that I think is important where he probably saw a lot of these questions coming. They really weren't that hard to anticipate, and he gave great answers that were well thought out and truly exactly what you wanted to hear, especially given that he has been working out with all the different skilled players throughout this team over the course of this unusual COVID-19 influence offseason. 
it's been a good thing to see for Mitch, and certainly I hope for the man himself that he's growing and getting better. But when it comes to his play on the football field, I, I don't know. This didn't really do anything for me. I wish it did, especially given that only a year ago, I was one of the people cheering hardest for Mitch. But after 2019, which saw a massive step back in tons of key areas of quarterbacking play, I'm going to need to see it before I could possibly believe it. And while I really do want to see Mitch Trubisky the person succeed, not to mention I would love for the Bears franchise quarterback situation to actually be a stable one over the next, let's say even just three years, I really think that the worst thing Bears fans and I guess the team too could do would be to anoint someone that isn't quite good enough to hold that position for the foreseeable future. If you want an example, that's exactly what Jacksonville did and I would even argue that's what the Rams did too, but I'm I'm personally very anti-Goff. There are a lot of other people that are super high on Goff. I'm not one of them, but Bortles, we can all agree, he got that extension after the Jaguars playoff run, the Saxonville year, and everything fell apart in part because they picked the wrong guy. They had the wrong guy, they knew he was the wrong guy, and then they tied their ship to the wrong guy because it was better to give out that extension than try again. But I get it. Starting over at the franchise quarterback spot is scary for everyone. Fans, franchise, everyone. Because when you bring in a new franchise quarterback, he's got so much ability to influence a team's success that the devil you know can often seem a lot better than the devil you don't. That is exactly case in point what's going on with both the Raiders and the Vikings. And I think the Vikings are a stronger example with Kirk Cousins, who has his own issues with pressure, kind of similar to Mitch, not just pressure in terms of the big game because I mean take a look at the week four game against the Bears there's no reason that the Vikings that finished the season should have lost to this Bears team but the Bears smoked them just dominated him and there's enough of those sorts of games all over Kirk Cousins's ledger that you have to wonder whether part of it's just who Kirk is but also on the football field itself Kirk seems to miss throws when he needs to hit them I go back to a week 11 throw I think it was in 2018 where Kirk had oh gosh I think it was Adam Thielen maybe it was Stefan Diggs it was one of those two wide open in the end zone and he airmailed it about four yards into the back of the end zone missed his target and that would have been a huge throw for the Vikings, but I digress. I don't mean to get too far on a tangent of Kirk. It's more to say that the devil you know, Kirk Cousins, somewhat struggles some franchise quarterback. If you were to define a franchise quarterback, I think he's one of the last guys that makes the cut, or he's right on the other end, similar to Andy Dalton for the Bengals for years, where maybe he's not a franchise guy, but he's so close that people sort of force him into the role. One of those two. But even so, you could make the case, realistically, that Kirk holds the Vikings back just as much as he holds them up. And we'll see how that works in this next season, where the Vikings seem to have committed a ton of cap resource forward into the future, which a lot of cap analysts, like the legendary Brad OTC, have praised rightly because the Vikings are very well set up for the future but they may take a step backwards in 2020 they cut a lot of established starters losing Everson Griffin is a huge pass rushing loss for them I, I love that guy but 
We'll see what Kirk is able to do. I don't see if he's a- really able to mask team or his flaws or his offense's flaws quite like some of the legendary quarterbacks. But then again, that list is growing shorter and shorter by the year. Point is, is that we see a lot of different methods of how to approach the quarterback situation. And there's one that I keep going back to when it comes to the Bears, and that's the Chiefs. What they did with Alex Smith on to Patrick Mahomes was nothing short of perfect. And it's not perfect for everybody. And of course, it's kind of difficult because, you know, if it was just part of the plan for every NFL team throughout the next, let's say, 20 years, or even going backwards about 10 years to just, oh, you know, pick the next Patrick Mahomes, pick the next MVP of the league, they all would have done it. In fact, they all tried. The Bears certainly weren't aiming for what they got out of Mitch Trubisky when they traded up for him at number two overall. I really believe, I I will say this until the end of my days, that Ryan Pace thought he was getting Aaron Rodgers. He keeps saying Drew Brees, but Drew isn't near as mobile as Mitch was. He looked like Aaron Rodgers in that preseason Broncos game. Every time anybody probably falls over their skis a little too much for Mitchell Trubisky, we've seen this in some of his Detroit games. Aaron Rodgers is the name that comes out of their mouth. That's who I think Ryan Pace thought he was drafting. That's who I thought he was. His tape looked that good. And I was wrong, just like everybody else. But the point is, is that I think the the Chiefs' quarterback solution makes a lot of sense for the Bears. Take an established guy like Alex Smith, who has had one of, I think, the most tragic NFL careers in recent memory, given that he was continually traded away from massively successful teams, traded away from the 49ers, and then they went on a run, ended in a Super Bowl appearance, which is a lot more than a lot of teams can say, traded to the Chiefs, had a lot of success, passed the buck to Patrick Mahomes, who then went on to win MVP, win a Super Bowl, while Alex Smith then had his career cut short by injury in Washington, where he actually seemed to be playing decently, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that I think that I've heard a lot of people make an argument that Mitchell Trubisky is the best choice for the Bears job, regardless of whether he's good or not, because of quote unquote upside. The idea is, is that if Mitch is super duper good, then great. Everybody wins. Bears go back to the playoffs. Who knows how deep they go? Maybe they win a Super Bowl. And that's great and hopeful. But of course, the other side of the coin to that argument, and a strong one in their eyes, is if Mitch is bad, the Bears lose a lot of games. And that's better than winning some but not winning enough because the Bears get a higher draft pick. But here is Robert Schmitz's idea on that take. I think that while that's good in theory, it's banking on a lot of hope and it's not realizing just how tumultuous the Bears' recent history has been. The Bears. We would like to call them an up-and-down team, but the truth is is that they have not made the playoffs enough to be considered a winner by any stretch of the imagination, and I really worry that after a 12-4 and awesome season, coming off of John Fox and some really miserable declining years, who was coming off of Mark Tressman, which was an embarrassment in and of itself— I think the Bears need to just win games for a couple of years going forward. That's my take anyways. I don't think that there's anything healthier for this franchise at the moment. Fans, as well as players, as well as culture, to just establish a regime. Let's say the Matt Nagy regime. Let's say the Ryan Pace regime. And I am not about to pretend to you that I know enough about Matt Nagy to call him a surefire top 10 quarterback in, or top 10 coach in the league. And I can tell you right now that I think Ryan Pace does a a good job with player evaluation and can draft fairly well, but he seems to really 
struggle with paying too much for whoever he tries to acquire, be it Jimmy Graham, even Nick Foles, though I, I think Foles was probably the right personnel choice. Maybe the fourth round pick on a guy who had as hefty a contract as he did was a little too much. I digress. Point is, is that let's say they're flawed guys, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Establishment can help because things aren't the Browns bad. This wasn't a 6-10 and 10 year. And if it is a 6-10 and 10 2020, that's huge. That's bad. You very well may have to punish that with some firings. But if it's not, if it's 9-7, and 10-6 with a playoff berth, 11-5, and five, keep them around. I think that's healthier for the Bears than going 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 and still not actually having a shot at Trevor Lawrence or the Fields guy, the other one. I think his name's Justin Fields, but honestly, the name escapes me. The point is, is that I get it. Everybody likes to say over and over that you either want to win the Super Bowl or you want to lose all your games. But it is so unfun watching all of those losses that I think a lot of fans will lose interest. That means lost revenue for the team, but more importantly, it means lost passion for people like us who like to watch every single snap of the Chicago Bears. It's just not that easy to rotate teams. I remember trying to kind of last year. I was rooting for the Saints. I like watching the Eagles. I know a lot of people are going to hate that because of what they did to us in 2018, but their offense is fun. I like the Reed teams. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. I'm a big West Coast fan. But when I watch them, I can't. I don't get that guttural, almost primal excitement that I do surrounding the Chicago Bears. Best story I can tell regarding that would be that I grew up, you've probably, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And that means that, I mean, even over my shoulder, anytime I do an interview, is a Cowboys pennant that I've constantly got to answer. Yeah, it's up there because I love my mother and she's a big Cowboys fan. But I was always, quote unquote, both a Cowboys fan and a Bears fan. And I really believed that until the Bears played the Cowboys a couple years in a row. Um, By in a row, I mean probably three games across five years. And every time they did, I knew exactly who I was cheering for. I could like the Cowboys. In fact, I was somebody who was saying probably since 2008 that I thought Tony Romo was super underrated and he's a fun, fun quarterback to watch. But every time the Bears played the Cowboys, be it the Josh McCown game where the Bears slaughtered the boys or any other game like that, I was present at the one in Dallas where Jay Cutler threw for, I think, three touchdowns, one to Devin Hester, one to Brandon Marshall. Man, that was a fun memory. It was like late October-ish. Rangers were choking. Again, neither here nor there point is, is that I knew that I was a Bears fan because it would just well up from inside of me. I was so excited whenever the Bears did anything and so upset whenever they did anything wrong. I was not cheering for both teams. I wanted the Cowboys to lose. I wanted the Bears to win. And when I think of that excitement, I know I'm not alone. I know that there are plenty of other Bears nuts out there of all shapes and sizes, of every sort of personality all across this country that don't want to see the Bears lose. And sure, in theory, if I could just simulate the season like it was in Madden and go 3-13, and maybe I'd be okay with it because the Bears would get a quarterback who, while he's being hailed as basically the next quarter or the next coming of quarterback, Jesus, Trevor Lawrence seems to also have issues reading the field, but... Anyways, that's more than likely going to get talked about a lot more next year than it is this year because people are still sort of around there. Though, if you look on the right corners of Twitter, you'll see it. They're not wrong. That doesn't mean Trevor Lawrence is a bad quarterback prospect. He's still one of the best prospects in quite a while. But 
I don't want to pretend that he's solid gold because as we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, there's really no such thing as solid gold unless you're Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. And another thing that we've seen with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and RG3 and uh, Luck, I guess he applies again, is people are trading up for these quarterbacks. People aren't letting these quarterbacks fall down the board, even if they've got question marks like Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes did. You better believe they're going as close as they can to the top first round because teams are desperate to fix their franchise. Josh Rosen was drafted, what, 11th with a trade-up? It's either 11th or 9th. The point is the Bears would have to lose a lot of games to be in realistic play for Trevor Lawrence or, again, I think it's Justin Fields, but... I don't think they can lose those games, Trubisky or not. This defense is really good. People aren't talking about just how good this defense is going to be. And I know I made that big Robert Quinn video. Thank you to anyone who watched that thing. Easily my best performing video ever. But between Mac Hicks, if he's healthy at all, and Robert Quinn, the Bears have a heck of a pass rush. And if Danny Trevathan can come back healthy, he's an underrated stud linebacker. I'd love to see Roquan Smith step forward. If he does, he'll be really good, especially on side-to-side plays that Trevathan doesn't quite have the athleticism to reach. And then we get to, really, the crown jewel of the Bears' defense. I know, I know, I'm saying that. It's crazy, considering what I just said about the pass rush. But Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, Jalen Johnson, and Tashawn Gibson are a very, very good back end that helps set up that front seven. You take a look at what the Cowboys did. They had some fabulous edge rushers in Jamarcus Lawrence, Robert Quinn, and a host of others that I won't bore you with the names. But the point is, they kind of didn't matter because the, sh- the Cowboys secondary just couldn't hold a candle to what that front seven was able to do. It was Byron Jones and a bunch of guys. But with the Bears, you've got, I love the term redship player in Kyle Fuller because I think that perfectly describes him. One of the best cover safeties in the league in Eddie Jackson. Tashawn Gibson, who is no slouch in and of himself. And Jalen Johnson, whose tape, I mean, it explodes. I can't talk enough about how much I love Jalen Johnson and what he's able to do in man coverage, zone coverage, spy coverage, any kind of coverage. Jalen Johnson is a dude and as long as he can avoid injury he will play well for the Bears I mean I wouldn't be surprised if he starts as a rookie and does so relatively well sure he'll take his I'm sure he'll take his lumps it's the NFL this sort of thing is hard but he's a talented player and I can't wait to see him you stack up that defense I think they win six games by themselves you get to six and ten you're probably already in what do you guys think 12th 8th 10th somewhere around there And you're already probably going to have to trade up to get one of those top two quarterbacks. And those are really the only guys that you're thinking are going to, quote unquote, fully fix the franchise. And at the moment, considering that the Bears are starting to see Akeem Hicks come off of injury, their offensive line is rife with holes. I'd love to pretend it's not. It is. Charles Leno, I made that video about him a while ago. I think that there's a strong case that Charles Leno is the second best lineman on the Chicago Bears. And I'm not about to pretend that that's a good thing. With Bobby Massey being who he is and probably falling off a little bit just due to age. Uh, Jermaine Ifedi, I think that's how you pronounce his name, coming in at right guard and everybody's just citing, I think it's 2016 tape of him being pretty good in that scheme. Uh, James Daniels had a quite strugglesome season last year, whereas Leno and Whitehair, Whitehair was good, 
Leno was fine. Uh, Perfectly average was the title for a reason. The Bears' offensive line has some issues, and if we keep trading away picks, we're not really going to be able to invest in that enough to fix it. The running game has some massive flaws. Won't go into that. We'll save it for another podcast. The point is, the Bears need their draft picks. I don't think they're in the position to do what Kansas City did, where if you think back to the Kansas City plan, they won a bunch of games for like five years and stacked their team up. They drafted who they could. You could say whatever you want about the character of guys like Tyreek Hill, but the point is they found their Travis Kelsey. They found their Tyreek Hill. They signed Sammy Watkins. They built up a solid, maybe not great, but good enough defense with guys like Chandler Jones on it that can make a difference in a game, built out their offensive line, and when they knew they were ready to pick a quarterback, they picked their quarterback. They traded up to get Patrick Mahomes, and then they even gave him time to sit on the bench. Truly, it was the perfectly executed plan. And it only works, of course, because they picked the right guy in Patrick Mahomes. Let's say they traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky. I doubt they win a Super Bowl, though I do think Mitch is probably Alex Smith-ish over there. It's just too good a system, or and by system, I mean with Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill and the line around him. But the point is, is that... They pulled off exactly what I would love to see the Bears do. Become a winning team. Become a team that is known for winning games. Become a team that is known for a coach that can call plays, which I was talking to a guy named Bob, Bobby Peters. He's a great football scholar, which might sound like a weird term, but seriously, if you go look him up on Twitter at all, just type in Bobby Peters, you will see exactly what I'm talking about. R- literally wrote a book on the 2018 uh, Bears offense that I'm still reading right now to really try to pick it apart and learn that coaching aspect of the game. And one thing he talked about is how long it takes for a coach to learn how to call plays. It takes probably three to four to five years to really figure out not only how you want your offense to work, but also how to manage the flow of the game. This would be Matt Nagy's third year calling plays, and even he in recent press conferences has kind of alluded to the idea that he's learning. So if I had to pick between a learning raw person to trust the franchise with between Trubisky and Nagy, I pick Nagy. I think I've seen a lot from him, not only in the 2018 year that popped off, but also even in the 2019 year where the locker room didn't fall apart. The Bears still managed to go 8-8 eight and eight despite, I'll list them off, a bad running game that really fell apart all throughout the season was totally untrustworthy, a rough performance from the offensive line. Kyle Long almost totally... I mean, his body just breaking throughout the season. Mitch Trubisky playing pretty poorly all year long. Akeem Hicks, who I think is the defense's cornerstone, going down, losing Danny Trevathan, losing Roquan Smith. A lot of things went wrong for the Bears last year. I don't know if it's quite cataclysmic like one of those Tressman years where I think the Bears pretty much just lost to everybody, but it was really, really rough, and yet the Bears hung in there. Yet they won eight games, despite the fact that I could add a whole bunch of other games, like the Raiders game where Kevin Pierre Lewis jumps off sides, or the Chargers game where Pinheiro missed what absolutely any NFL kicker should be able to make, and I believe it was a 43-yard field goal to win, or the Rams game where, gracious, the Rams did everything they could to lose, but Pinheiro started the day with two missed kicks, among other things that led to the Bears sort of falling apart in that game. Basically, despite a whole bunch of abjectly terrible losses, the Bears still ended their season even 
not under 500, and I think that's sort of an accomplishment. The locker room never caved, despite, again, what felt like everything going wrong, especially coming off of the high that was the 2018 season, and I think that there's a lot of credit to be given to Matt Nagy there. Not to mention, he brought in a new offensive line coach. He basically identified his problems well. He said, our running game wasn't good enough. I could be better, but we need to make a change there. So he fired Mark Helfrich, fired Harry Heastand, and brought in a guy that he's much more familiar with. I don't know. We'll see how it works. This could all end up going really badly. The point is, is that a lot of people criticize Matt Nagy's ego. I think he did a good job of showing that his ego isn't bigger than the problems on the team because he brought in a whole bunch of people to address exactly the problems that fans like me and, frankly, all over Bears Nation wanted to see addressed. So, when I look at this Bears team and I look at Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles to circle all the way back around, I think you probably know that I think Nick Foles is the better player. So I didn't want to spend a ton of time ranting on that because I think Mitch is a hard worker. I think he's a strugglesome fit in a West Coast offense. I think he's much more Tannehill than he is. I don't even want to say Mariota. That's not fair to him. He's much more Tannehill than he is Alex Smith. Smith is somewhat physically lacking, but really cerebral player that was able to dice up defenses. A lot more similar to Nick Foles, but a little more athletic. And Mitch is a better thrower when he's in rhythm, but it's very easy to knock him out of rhythm. And I think that makes a lot more sense, believe it or not, in a John Fox team that primarily wants to run the ball. Mitch is a secondary option. I love it. Mitch as the focal point of the offense. I don't. I think that that's not where Mitch is at his best. But the point is, is that if it was me, I think Foles has the inside track on the job. I get it. Mitch made some great points. He is the incumbent. This favors him uh, in terms of the competition. But I don't know. Part of me was part of me legitimately wonders how Matt Nagy is going to approach this situation. Is it an earnest competition? Are we really going to be counting preseason stats and using them to determine a starter? If I could be honest, I doubt it. My guess is that they're going to come into training camp and that it's going to be I'm going to call it Mitch's job to win and not Mitch's job to lose, because I think that Foles, considering that he's the floor, it's not like Foles is going to come in and blow the top off of his uh, career stats. Foles is the benchmark, and Mitch has to beat that benchmark, and he has to beat that benchmark in all the spots that he has struggled with throughout the rest of his career. This isn't about what Mitch can do when he's throwing through a tire. This isn't about what Mitch can do when he's throwing in a one-on-one. This is about what Mitch can do when he's presented with things that he has to adjust to in-game, with calls that he has to make, with situations that he has to read, with defenses that he's got to dice up, all the little things that I was able to highlight in my recent Foles video that Foles is able to do as well as he is, the things that make him a capable NFL quarterback despite being almost totally immobile, those are the things that I'm thinking Matt Nagy wants to see Trubisky do. It's not scrambles for eight yards. It's not breaking out of the pocket. It's actually simplified. It is making calls at the line. It's taking the snap, it's reading things like an RPO correctly, and removing that sense that you get from Mitch Trubisky that when he reads it right, it's almost an accident, and it looks really good. And when he reads it wrong, oh boy, you can tell. Most quarterbacks don't seem to read plays wrong at the rate that Mitch does, and that's something that I'm sure they want to see fixed just as much as I do. And if Mitch has to go somewhere else to learn a little bit more, get more comfortable in not only NFL offenses, but just inside of his own skin playing football... I'm going to wish him the best. He's not a bad person, and I never want to make it sound like criticism is somehow coming down on the player themselves, but 
He is a poor fit in a West Coast offense. He is surprising me in terms of how little he is developing. That Week 16 game against Kansas City was grisly. And not to mention, if I could be so candid, I would love to see what an actual game plan from Matt Nagy looks like when he doesn't have Chase Daniel as his starting quarterback. That's one of my biggest trouble, uh, I guess, struggles looking back at the 2018 and 2019 seasons is when it came to, okay, what does the offense look like without Mitch Trubisky in it? We got Chase Daniel, who absolutely no one is confusing for an NFL starting quarterback. With Nick Foles, hey, Again, I said it in the Foles video. I think that in the right offense, Foles could produce at roughly the 20th best quarterback in the NFL because his limitations are going to keep him from breaching the Kirk Cousinses of the world, guys like Andy Dalton when they were in their prime, and he's certainly not going to challenge, I mean, Russell Wilson or quote-unquote good quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford, but Foles is going to be productive, similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick in the Arians offense in Tampa Bay. He fit that. Ryan Fitzpatrick fit the bombs away attitude. Nick Foles fits the death by a thousand cuts attitude of a West Coast offense. And in those systems, they can be productive. And that's something that I want to see Mitch Trubisky reach. But more importantly, I want to see Matt Nagy's version of a quote-unquote productive offense. I want to see Matt Nagy with a true benchmark quarterback, with not Chase Daniel. Because even with Chase Daniel, he put together a good enough game plan against Minnesota. I know everybody responds to that with, yeah, by good enough, you mean 13 points. And I'd say, yeah, but that defense was really playing well. 13 points was plenty in terms of what the Bears needed inside of that game. They gave the defense a lead, scored a touchdown immediately, which was the 2018 recipe for success, and then kind of coasted. And Daniel made some mistakes. Um, he made he I remember he missed, what was it, two easy third down throws against the Vikings. And he made a couple of other third down plays. I remember one where he looked off an inside linebacker and fit a ball within a very tiny window to Trey Burton, but he made some really easy mistakes that any starting quarterback would, I mean, they'd just cringe if they made them certainly more than once in an NFL game. Daniel was limited. He only put up 13 points. Oh, well, we move on to the Raiders game, and he puts up 21. And he put up 28 against the Giants last year. He put up, what was it, 23 against the Lions uh, also in 2018. Uh, Under, with Chase Daniel at the helm, Matt Nagy has called some decent games. He's had some interesting trick plays that he's called. He's had some solid offensive general attack structures that he's moved on with. And sure, Chase Daniel made some serious mistakes in that Raiders game, and it ultimately cost the Bears. That last interception was nasty. The other interception was nasty-er. And against the Giants, oh my gosh, I remember the first couple throws Chase Daniel attempted, one of them being the easy fumble. Actually, it might have been an interception, but the point is, those turns turnovers and a couple of the turnovers that were dropped they were all ugly so I want to see Matt Nagy with a quote-unquote normal quarterback or a benchmark quarterback because if all we've gotten is Mitch Trubisky and Mitch Trubisky's even worse than maybe we realize or he's holding back the offenses in or offense in ways that aren't obvious things like the 35 percent of button hook routes that it feels like the Bears call what if that's not Nagy's idea What if that's not in the game plan per se, and it's more about what Mitch is able to run? I don't know. I keep hearing little rumblings that Mitch struggles with the playbook, and there's just been nothing to verify that because we don't have a second option to compare it with. When you look at the Alex Smith offense versus the Patrick Mahomes offense, I remember the comparison that I make is Mahomes is the easy choice for a starting quarterback there. Duh, he's the MVP. Because under that offense, 
what Patrick Mahomes, who was a loose cannon at Texas Tech, as a Baylor fan, I watched him a lot, he's great, was able to do was to learn to, quote-unquote, be Alex Smith to the count of two, maybe two and a half Mississippi, and then go be Patrick Mahomes. So if it's wide open in two seconds, throw it. Get rid of the ball. Just do it. It's great. It works great for the offense. And then, if nothing's there, or he needs to move on to his second, maybe third read, go make a play. Go do what you do, Patrick, and go just ball out. And he does. So because he was able to learn that, he was a total upgrade on Alex Smith because he's just as good at what Alex Smith does in the first two, two and a half seconds, which is easily where Smith said his best. And then afterwards, that Patrick Mahomes level is a totally different quarterback than what Smith is able to do after that two and a half second region. Mahomes is able to make plays in the backfield, not just with what he avoids, but also with the darts he throws downfield. He's so accurate. I mean, a couple of those throws in the late end of the Super Bowl were just fabulous, and it's a clear upgrade over Smith. Now let's move back to the Bears, because when it comes to Trubisky, the trouble is, is that that first two and a half seconds is, I think, where Trubisky's at his worst, because he seems to really struggle with those basic reads, so the button hook route is the easiest. And I don't see Trubisky throw a lot of the posts and slants and sluggos and corner routes and all the other different routes that often West Coast offenses are made up of. I watched three years of Foles tape. I mean, I saw it. Foles can throw just about every other sort of route. And I struggle to believe that Matt Nagy just doesn't call these concepts. I know this is a whole lot of very scattered thinking, but I just, I can't tell what whether Matt Nagy is a good offensive play caller and offense designer or whether he's bad at it and he's truly holding Mitchell Trubisky back, we don't know until we separate the variables. That's the scientific way to do this. You put each variable in its own place. You give Mitch to another team. Let's say he becomes the Titans' backup just for fun. uh, And you give Nagy another quarterback like Nick Foles. And we just see how they do after a couple of games. We see if Nick Foles is able to suddenly, quote-unquote, fix Matt Nagy's play calling because he's able to handle it a little bit better. We see if Mitch Trubisky, turns out, is super successful when he's in an offense where he's just got to hand it off to Derrick Henry and then sit back and throw to wide-open play-action fake guys. That could very well work for him, but we don't know until we try. And this is something that I want to see the Bears do. I think playing Foles does two things. It helps the Bears set up for the future by trying to establish a floor of winning. If Foles is healthy for 16 games, which I have serious doubts about, but that's well explained in the video, I don't need to say it here, then I think the Bears could easily win 10 games. And I could go through schedule game by game, probably will in another podcast, but for now I'll just say 10-6 and six is where my gut is. 9-7, and 10-6. But if Trubisky plays, the Bears could be anywhere from 6-10 and 10 to 10-6. and 6. I don't know if Trubisky can outplay Foles at his best. Foles at his best is a, is a dude. That guy can play. Go watch the Super Bowl. Go watch the 2017 championship game. Go watch the game against the Texans in 2018. Also, his first couple quarters against the Rams, those were fabulous. Nick Foles can play some really, really crisp football. And even when he's not that crisp like his game against Washington, he's good enough. He set the completion record in that game and was able to quickly and quietly put away the Josh Jones-led Redskins for the win that Philadelphia technically needed to effectively get into the playoffs because they weren't in until they won that game. So that one did matter. Foles in elimination games is another guy. His play in the first couple of weeks of the season, usually not super good. His game against Tampa Bay week two, not awesome. Week one against Atlanta, 
definitely not very good. In Week 16 against the Raiders in 2017, very, very bad. I mean, that's one of his worst games of his life, if I could be super honest. But I, I look at all that, and I think to myself, Nick Foles has shown us he can play pretty good football, and Mitch Trubisky's best is about there. It's not really that much better. I mean, even some of his Lions games, where he looks like a world beater, Foles has also looked like a world beater. So it's not that much of an upgrade. And it's why I think, personally, as a guy who's talking into a microphone about Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, that Foles is the better answer because it helps the franchise get a clean break away from a bad draft pick. Because that happens. And when he goes to another team, maybe he'll have a Tannehill-like resurgence. Some guys need that. I mean, I always like to talk about Chris Davis, who is a bad, bad Ranger and a very, very good Oriole when it comes to baseball. For changes of scenery, like Tyler Sagan, who moved from Boston to Dallas and became a superstar, just helped some of these guys. And Trubisky could very well be a candidate for that, or he could wash out of the league. One of the two. But Foles, we know who he is. We know when we bring him in that the Bears aren't trying to fix the franchise quarterback spot. They're trying to establish a placeholder that could hold down the spot for ideally two, maybe three years. Nobody is thinking that this would be all that long. While the Bears retool a good but aging roster, we do need another linebacker next to Roquan Smith. Danny Trevathan is not going to be around forever. We need to figure out who's going to step into Akeem Hicks's shoes when he can't quite fill them like he used to be able to. We've got to figure out what other linemen we're going to be playing and who is going to be the foundation for this Bears offensive line at the right and left tackle spots. I mean, we need those guys to be younger players, and we have no solution there. And generally speaking, you only find those solutions at right tackle within the first two, maybe three rounds, and at left tackle in the first. So the Bears need draft picks. They need to invest in the rest of their team. And I think this could take a little while, but I think that little while could be marked with wins. I like wins. I like making the playoffs. I think that if the Bears' 2020 season plays out exactly like the Titans' 2019 season did, we're all going to be very happy fans. No, that means that the Bears don't win a Super Bowl, but it does mean that they make it to the NFC Championship game and they beat two strong teams to get there. That'd be awesome. I would love to see the Bears win a playoff game. That was my 2019 goal for them, and I'll keep the same goal for 2020 win a playoff game. If they do that, I'm ecstatic. If they don't, we'll figure it out. I mean, it depends. A lot of people getting hurt. If Foles goes down for 10 games, of course, playoff hopes are probably out the door, in my opinion. But overall, when it comes to circle back, to close out this podcast, when I look at this Mitchell Trubisky press conference, I see a guy who practiced his answers and is a little upset. Yeah, sure. He is properly pissed off, just like Adam Hogue and others say. But I remember seeing Mitchell Trubisky pissed off after the Saints game. He got asked about that RPO that he kept it and got sacked by Cameron Jordan. And he was very defiant. He needed to hand it off. He was well aware. He knows. He's going to get it next time. And then he got the same play. I think it was the second play of the Chargers game. He botched it. He kept the ball. He got hit by... Um, by Nick Bosa, and he went right down. Nope, Joey Bosa. Point is, Mitch has shown throughout his career that he can learn from his mistakes, but that his areas of weakness are not getting fixed. Yes, mechanically speaking, when he misses a curl route or he misses a corner route, he can hit the next one. But in terms of his mental progress, he's made almost none, 
and after the 2019 defenses adjusted to what Matt Nagy's game plan was going to be, Nagy needed a quarterback to execute to make those one-two reads, and Brett Coleman did a breakdown on week one of Trubisky that showed he's not doing that. And so I only bring that up because it corroborates with what I've been saying. He's not making his reads. He's not making good enough decisions. And unless that magically changes in 2020, which history tells us doesn't, a quarterback usually is who he is after three years, I think he'll struggle to win this competition and that Foles is ultimately going to be the Bears guy in 2020, but I don't think that's a bad thing. If the Bears can win games, become an organization known for winning, even if they're not big winners, kind of like the Colts have for years under Andrew Luck, I think that's a net win for the franchise. Certainly it helps fans get out of this nasty playoff drought that we've been in where we've just had coach after coach after coach come in and out. Mark Tressman, he's in, he's out. Lovey, he was around for a long time. That I think that's the best way to describe this. I want to get back to having a Lovey-type franchise with here's our coach, here's our identity, this is what we do, and it might work. With Tressman, we never really knew, and by the time we knew, we realized it was bad. With John Fox, we knew immediately. We knew it was going to be tough, and it was. With Matt Nagy, things look like they could be really good. The Bears could end up at 12-4 and again. I don't think that was an aberration. I don't think that was a fluke. I think that was everything going right for a team that wasn't quite ready yet. And if they can find a quarterback at the level of, I don't know, Derek Carr, then I think things could really turn around for them. Could they win a Super Bowl? I don't know. But the 49ers showed us that even with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not that great, I'd put him in the Cousins-ish region of quarterbacks, that they can get to a Super Bowl, that they can be successful. And that's what I'd love to see the Bears do. You don't have to win the Super Bowl every year. You don't have to plan to win the Super Bowl every year. You can try to win the Super Bowl every year, but you can make plans that revolve around slowly retooling your team with high-end talent that you refuse to trade away because you're going to keep those draft picks to yourself to invest them back in your team. Ultimately, I could keep going on this, but I think I've explained things relatively well. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. If you like film breakdowns, be sure to check out my channel. It's called Run Pass Opinion, spelled like it sounds, R-P-O, and you'll see various film, Bears film breakdowns. I can't wait. The next project that I've got on, I'll just go ahead and let you guys in on a little secret here, is Matthew Stafford, but things at my actual 9-to-5 job are so busy recently, I haven't even been able to start so i'll just try to get up a q a on uh relative regular bears questions and see if i can add some film to it we'll put something up on the channel soon but anyways that's about it from me guys have a great rest of your day and as always bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me 